coming to you from fabulous Las Vegas. The right side is the winning side. The late move is the correct move. Sports betting capital of the world. We all know when a sharp like me weighs in, the lines move. It's a party for your ears. <laughs> this is The Buffet with Chad and Scooch. I want to buy that guy a buffet. Hello and welcome to a very special emergency news-breaking edition of The Buffet with Chad Scooch and a little bit Ryan Rodenberg, who is a legal expert, a sports law professor at Florida State University, who's been covering the efforts for the state of New Jersey to legalize sports betting through its entire case uh, history, going back, I think, six years now. Um, because today, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of New Jersey and that it can allow sports betting in the state. And not only can the state of New Jersey allow it, but all states that would like to enact laws can allow it. And it has thrown the industry into a bit of upheaval today, even though many people expected this to be the outcome. Up first is going to be from Las Vegas, representing Boyd Gaming and the Orleans bookmaker extraordinaire, Bob Scucci. Chad, what's going on, man? This is an exciting day. This is a massive day. So, like, just to to completely make it clear for people, like, many years ago, New Jersey lawsuit claiming that PASPA, the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act, was a violation of states' rights, meaning that it was illegal and it did not allow New Jersey to exercise its interests in order to raise money and do what it was allowed to do as a state that it saw its citizens' best interests. Uh, New Jersey lost this case at multiple levels of the judicial process uh, in the appellate court, in federal court, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court decided last summer it was going to hear the case, heard the case in December, and uh, many of us have been on pins and needles the past several months waiting for the court to rule. They ruled today in a 7-2 to two decision. They ruled in favor of New Jersey, which can now allow sports betting. Scooch, you're from New Jersey. You live in Las Vegas. You and I have talked about this many, many times. Um, give me your first react. It's it's 9.15 out there in Vegas. It's been legal two hours and 15 minutes. Have you guys been talking about it? What is your thought on this right now? Uh, well, the first feeling is just a feeling of excitement and uh, knowing that we've been looking at this possibility for decades now, just wondering what what the uh, possibilities are. The upside of it is kind of the unknown right now. And, and that's what makes it so exciting is, uh, you know, this was the first step. So, so there's that kind of uh, feeling that, uh, you know, there's all kinds of possibilities now. And uh, I would imagine New Jersey uh, may be the first one uh, because they've already been in place, Delaware. Uh, but now I, I think that, all the states can just kind of follow the same path that New Jersey did. And it may be, it may be like dominoes where each state uh, one by one starts to uh, put in some form of uh, uh, legal sports betting. So uh, again, just uh, it's so new and fresh right now that the only feeling I have is just the excitement of it. But I think the, the upside and the potential uh, could be pretty big. 
does anything like this look you have a very specific point of view on this uh you've been in vegas forever you're a bookmaker at a huge public corporation you've got a lot of responsibilities does it worry you no, I, I don't think it worries me at all because I look at it the same way that I've looked at gambling in general. Like like you said, I've been in Vegas for many years, and I remember when other states started uh, passing legislation to allow some form of gambling in their state. And the question would always be, you know, this is going to take business away from Las Vegas. And it never did. If anything, it we just saw the numbers keep rising. So I think what it what it does is it just creates a whole new cross segment of betters. I think once you start seeing legislation in other states that allows for sports betting, it'll create new sports betters. And then eventually they'll come out to Vegas and they'll make sports bets now where they didn't make sports bets before. So I, I don't think it worries me. I, I, I think it just creates uh, uh, more, more betters in general. And, and I, I think we're going to see a rise in, in sports betting. You know, it's interesting. I believe many, many years ago, I was out in Vegas, uh, working on a story for East 60 back when I was at ESPN about Delaware trying to legalize sports betting. And you had one of the greatest lines about what this would mean for Vegas if sports betting became legal on a state-by-state basis or nationwide. Do you remember what you said to me? I do, yeah. I, I, it was, in some form, it was like opening up a, a carnival at a local uh, city, like with Ferris wheels and lots of rides, and I compared it to Disneyland. Is it going to take business away from Disneyland? And I, I said that all, all you're doing by opening up these smaller amusement parks is exposing to people to these rides to where they're going to say, hey, I really enjoy this, and now I want to go to Disneyland. Yeah, that's a, and the, it's a great analogy or metaphor. It's one of those two things. And um, I also thought that was really interesting. You compared it to poker. Uh, explain a little bit about poker's rise and some of the comparisons or potential sort of parallels we can see between what happened with poker and what could happen with sports betting? Well, I mean, obviously uh, poker had that big boom uh, when a lot of, a lot of casinos were kind of downsizing poker rooms and then poker saw that, that giant boom. And, and I think you started seeing all the States kind of fall in line where everyone wanted to participate in the big poker boom. And then of course, technology allowed for that as well with uh, be, between online and, and mobile and different ways to, uh, to participate. So I think we're seeing the same thing with, with sports as well is, you know, can it be a lot more than just a, a sports book, uh, you know, a, a bricks and mortar establishment? Can it be online? Can it be mobile? I think these are all things that are going to be addressed as each state tries to adopt their legislation uh, to, to kind of get in on the game on this. How does this change your job today? And how does this change your job in six months? And how does this change your job in a year? <laughs> Those are real good questions. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure myself. Um, uh, obviously, with so many years of Nevada being the only legal jurisdiction that has uh, sports betting, I think that a lot of states are going to kind of r- rely on the experts in Nevada, whether it be for legislation or whether it be for operations or, or for, for counsel or for cons- uh, just even just as a consultant. So I think there's uh, going to be a, a big demand for a lot of the people out here in Nevada. So uh, from that perspective, I, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, there there may be a lot of people scrambling right now. 
you know, that's going to be a big challenge if, if other states do suddenly adopt some form of sports betting similar to Las Vegas is that you're not going to have a pool of um, experienced individuals that already, you know, uh, that can kind of just jump in. There's going to have to be a big training session uh, across the country because there's just not that big of a, a, a pool of experienced people. So, so that may be a challenge. Well, you know, we, uh, we've talked about this often and um, we actually have to bounce off because I've got Ryan Rodenberg, who's been covering this uh, forever for us, um, calling in a couple of minutes. But we have talked about how this is a chance to widen the talent pool. And you've been looking for fresh ways to examine the industry in Nevada for a long time. And this is probably the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, it very well could be. I mean, I, I've always felt bad for the people that wanted to get into this business that there's just such a limited amount of places that they can kind of, you know, cut their teeth on. So uh, this could be a big opportunity for a lot of those talented individuals that are, are kind of been in the business for a lot of years, waiting for that opportunity to kind of move up the ladder. Uh, this could be, this could be a big moment for them as well. And uh, I think you will see that talent pool expand pretty quickly. All right, Scooch, listen, we are very seamless here at the buffet. And so while you were talking, Ryan Rodenberg, our sports legal expert, law professor at Florida State University, he had a story up about uh, the Supreme Court's decision to legalize sports betting in New Jersey on actionnetwork.com very close soon after the decision was rendered this morning. Scooch, you are free to go. Ryan Rodenberg, you are on the buffet. Wow. Unpack this for me. There's a lot to unpack, Chad. Over the course of 49 pages, the Supreme Court, in what effectively is a 7-2 vote, and we can get into the intricacies later, effectively they have declared PASTA, the federal sports betting ban, unconstitutional in total. There is no portion of this ban that is left standing. The two justices, and perhaps three who disagree with the overall conclusion, think there's some tiny sliver of, of the federal ban that could continue. But this is a very definitive move by the Supreme Court that individual states should have the right, if they elect to, to regulate, tax, and legalize sports betting. Certainly, it leaves the door open for states that aren't interested in doing that. And then perhaps one of the most important sentences that we'll be hearing about down the road. The Supreme Court also said that, that, that Congress could address sports betting, but if Congress is going to do so, they have to regulate it directly. They can't uh, authorize, sport, uh, excuse me, not allow states to regulate sports betting as some sort of order or edict. They have to do it directly. So it's still in play at the state level, of course, but in addition, Congress could also step in if they want to down the road. All right. So you just said something that I think is difficult for people to comprehend if they have been paying attention to this case closely, which was everyone assumed there would be three ways in which the court could rule. Complete repeal of PASPA. Um, New Jersey, that would be number one. New Jersey would get it, but PASPA would remain. Or the court would completely just decide that uh, PASPA could remain and New Jersey doesn't get it. What you're saying is that the court has essentially said PASPA is unconstitutional in its entirety. What does that mean for every state? Exactly. In no way did the Supreme Court kick past this can down the road here. They could have kind of delayed an ultimate decision 
for a later day and allowed New Jersey to have this very narrow victory for their partial repeal. That's not what happened. In terms of the, the, the figures of speech, in terms of breaking open the dam or the floodgates are, are now open, those are all true. Individual states, if they want to, can certainly follow the blueprint that either New Jersey did or they can follow the very first thing New Jersey did and have a full-blown regulatory uh, system put in place, much like Nevada or what New Jersey tried to do in the first version of this case. They could do either. So they don't even necessarily just have to have this kind of odd partial repeal that New Jersey did to try to fit within the tiny contours of the previous decision. Every state has the right to pursue something that they want to at this point. This is a dramatic, dramatic victory for New Jersey, but in addition to every other state, I mean, in, in the short news that I wrote for you earlier, certainly uh, states should send New Jersey a thank you note because this is a, a big boon to all of them in terms of their ability to, to regulate, tax, and, and authorize something if they're so inclined. Yeah, I mean, this just changes everything. It, it, it's so much bigger and broader than I think New Jersey was even expecting, and certainly then... I think other states were expecting as well. Nobody was sort of anticipating that the court was going to be as aggressive as it was. None of them were. And in fact, some of the, of the lawyers on the New Jersey side even argued to the Supreme Court in, in their written court filings that the, the, the court could take a narrower approach. The court rejected that. They went for a full-blown sweep of this law. It's effectively off the books in terms of being enforceable moving forward. Congress could take another stab at it, but there's upwards of, of two dozen states that are probably will be able to move much faster than, than Congress does uh, in terms of getting these current bills that are already pending either passed or at least on in terms of on the docket when the next legislate, legislative session opens uh, later this year or early next year. Right. So how fast do you think states can move right now? So several states are very, very well positioned to move in a matter of weeks, if not months. And, and those states include uh, Mississippi, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. Uh, to a limited extent, New York, they do have a, a statute on the books for in-person brick-and-mortar type of sports betting at the four already licensed uh, facilities they have there. Nothing online, though. And then there's about a dozen other states that have current bills pending. All of them had these placeholder clauses in there saying they would only become effective if the Supreme Court ruled favorably. Now the Supreme Court has ruled favorably, so those can move forward quickly without much revision if they can get it done before the legislative session closes. So a few states have already missed the chance. Iowa, Indiana, both had pending bills that would legalize sports betting, but those state legislatures have ended for the, for the, for the year. So... Those would have to wait until the next go around, but several other states are still in play. Kansas and Missouri are examples. There's a probably a dozen or so states that um, this becomes an opportunity, and New Jersey is certainly forefront of this. Why did the Supreme Court rule this way? What was their reasoning? When Congress passed this law 26 years ago, the language Congress used was so offensive to the Tenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution that Justice Alito, and, and he just harped on this endlessly. I, I just finished reading his portion, which took up about half of the decision. He was very forceful that if Congress wants to actually regulate something, they can do it 
but they can't do it in this way. And, and he uses some very colorful language in terms of deputizing state officials and, and preventing state legislatures from doing their thing. The way Congress worded this statute 26 years ago is just so bizarre and so offensive to the 10th Amendment, which gives states rights that, that otherwise belong to them. He found no other choice but to just simply say that none of this can be preserved. And he tried. There was individual portions, and that's the, 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 the three, excuse me, the two justices that dissented. There was small slivers of this federal law that at least two of them thought could be preserved. But the majority of the, of the justices, in this case, seven out of nine, said they just can't do it. And, and that's not just the, the very conservative state rights leaning type of justices. Justice Elena Kagan, who was nominated by President Obama back in 2010, she found she joined the majority decision in much the same way in full. So it certainly was something that kind of crossed uh, ideological lines. It's an important decision, clearly for sports betting, but in the not too distant future, we'll probably hear about this case in terms of the the debate over marijuana and immigration as well. So it's a big case. It's no surprise it's getting as much media attention as it it is right now. Yeah, it's pretty stunning. It's funny. uh, My wife and I saw, you know, there's a documentary out about Ruth Bader Ginsburg called RVG, and it uh, portrays her as sort of this... uh, quiet, fierce, intellectual powerhouse who has slowly moved society uh, in the direction of um, uh, gender rights over the past, say, 40 years. And that is what uh, got her to the attention of uh, President Clinton when he nominated her to the Supreme Court and sort of she has managed her career and sort of how um, just astonishing she has moved through uh, through the legal sort of hierarchy into the point where now, you know, notorious RBG and she's sort of got a cult following and people can't wait for her dissents. And I actually was reading this looking through like, oh my God, is RBG going to be the dissenting opinion in this case? Like what was her argument in this case? That I didn't quite get. So she did author the dissent. So when, when you, when it's described as a seven, two decision, the two was Justice Ginsburg, who actually wrote the dissent, and then she was joined by Justice Sonia Sotomayor, uh, an appointee of President Obama as well. But even Justice Ginsburg and Justice Sotomayor, they found problems with PASPA too. So in that respect, all nine of the of the justices found something wrong with PASPA, but what Justice Ginsburg uh, described in her dissent is she just simply wouldn't go as far as the other seven did. So she said, there are certainly problems. There's infirmities with this this law that Congress passed 26 years ago. I just wouldn't go as far as to wipe it off the board. There's a, there's a, a sliver of of PASPA that she thought could be uh, retained. Obviously, seven out of nine didn't agree with that. Only only two did. Uh, so she did dissent, uh, but for the purpose of that, it, there was a portion that could be preserved. But she certainly disagreed with all of it being wiped off the board. And that's what's so important here for the Supreme Court to issue a ruling, in this case 7-2, that struck down the entire statute that Congress passed, I'd have to go through the, through the record books. That just doesn't happen very often. It's incredibly rare. I mean, the, the two cases that, that Ted Olson and New Jersey's legal team relied on to get this result, even those two cases, one was in 1992, one was in 1997, even those two cases didn't involve 
a statute that would be wiped clean off the books, so to speak. Uh, so this is certainly a, 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 an incredible result. Uh, the, the, the core argument that Governor Christie and now Governor Murphy's legal team put forth, uh, seven out of nine of the justices agreed with it. And this is a, just a, an incredible victory for New Jersey. So what do you think Congress does? How does Congress react? So Congress, to a, uh, to a certain extent, has already reacted somewhat in that there is one pending bill uh, that has been formally introduced. It's gotten no traction whatsoever. It'll be revisited at this point. Uh, Congress, if they want to play a role in sports betting regula- regulation, which is what NBA Commissioner Adam Silver wants them to do, he continues to talk about how a federal framework is preferred as opposed to a patchwork of individual states passing these laws, Congress would have to move pretty quick because individual states simply aren't waiting. I mean, they have pending bills already out there that uh, could get enacted fairly quickly. If Congress were to do it, what they'll have to do is somehow deputize, whether it's the Federal Trade Commission, whether it's the Commodity Futures uh, Trading Commission or some government entity to oversee the regulation of sports betting, because that's the whole problem with, with how this federal ban was written 26 years ago. There was no federal policy in terms of regulating sports betting. It simply told the states what they can't do. Seven out of nine, the Supreme Court justice says that's not the way it works. You simply can't do that. So if Congress is going to do it, they'd have to completely rework and retool the way that they want to regulate sports betting. And maybe they do that through a, an SES Securities and Exchange Commission type of, of entity that actually actively regulates this. But simply telling states what they can and can't do in an area that, that the federal government chooses not to regulate in. This, this is a definitive statement that Congress can't do it that way. So it would involve some some novel thinking. I mean, it, it just simply couldn't be a, a flat ban or a flat uh, permission. Uh, individual states are going to want to retain some a- autonomy here too because they want the tax revenue and, and they feel like they can do it uh, much better than the federal government can. So uh, whether Nevada, New Jersey, some of these other states that, that have bills now uh, on the books that they're being considered, uh, there'll probably be a coming kind of policy legal fight over Capitol Hill versus individual state legislatures. But that, that's a little bit down the road at this point. Uh, certainly need to wait to see what, if anything, Congress does. And, and, and they can certainly choose to do nothing. I mean, this certainly, there's a long history of, of decades, if not centuries, of individual states taking the lead on on gaming regulation. So that's probably the path of least resistance in terms of uh, giving states the prerogative whether they want this or not. Handicap this for me. You uh, and I were on a panel at the Sloan Sports Conference at MIT 2015. So I said handicap for me, Ryan Rodenberg, how long you think before sports betting is legal? You predicted it would happen legislatively before it happened judicially. No way. Maybe I'm getting this wrong. You predicted that it would be legal in four years, which was close. If I remember the way you, you framed the over-under, uh, you just asked in terms of how long until sports betting is legalized. And I I think I said four and a half years. Maybe I did say four, but I think I said four and a half years. So in, in this case, the, 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 the under would have cashed if you had a ticket for the under on that one. But uh, in terms of the, the legislative outcome versus the judicial one, I mean, they, to a certain extent, they've kind of moved on parallel tracks. But 
when we talked about this at the MIT Sloan Conference in 2015, and even the later panels that, that you've moderated there, that time, none of us were thinking that upwards of two dozen states would just unilaterally start having sports betting bills in the absence of some direction from the Supreme Court. But they now have that direction. I just I can't recall back at the at the time of the panel whether we even contemplated that all of these states would start moving forward, even though the federal ban was technically still in place. Well, on to the next steps. It's still going to be interesting. There's still a lot to unpack. There's still a lot to uncover. Ryan Rodenberg covering it for ActionNetwork.com, sports law professor at Florida State, avid Supreme Court watcher. You've done a phenomenal job with this. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chad. We'll stay on top of it. Thanks, brother. 